This is Weekly Woman by Jubilance for PMS. Hello and welcome back to this edition of Weekly Woman. I'm Alice Cash, your host and chief media manager for Jubilance for PMS. Welcome to the podcast. It's time for This Week in Quarantine. I've officially moved my sister out of her apartment. It has been such a process. My little sister, who usually lives in New York City, but she's been at our parents' home in Southern California since March when COVID struck, needed to have her apartment moved out. She saw the writing on the wall when I caught COVID, and she got the hell out of the city. She packed up to leave for two weeks, and now she's been at home for five months now. She's been paying for an empty apartment for five months, and so she had to make the hard decision on whether to keep her place or to move out. With no end of COVID in sight and no real date to return to the city for work, she decided to give up her place. Luckily, I live just 10 blocks down the island, so we're moving her stuff in with me. And if she comes back, we're turning my living room into her bedroom because she can't make plans for the future. When will she come back? Will they be working at the office or just working from home from now on? She just doesn't know how it's going to work, so we had to figure out an alternative in case she comes back. But I've been packing up her apartment completely by myself. I don't want her to get on a plane or come back to the city without having had COVID or having the antibodies like me. She could still catch it, so I decided to pack up her whole place alone. It was so much work, and her house is so hot. But I'm happy to say it's finally finished. What's changed in your life since COVID? Um, let us know. Email me at alice at jubilance.com. Our guest on the podcast this week has ideas on how to stay calm and keep anxiety free by using the practices of yoga. I've been practicing down dogs and sun salutations when the move got to be too much. And I can't wait for you all to hear more about her work today. And I am here with Christine Weber. Christine is a leading world authority on the neuroscientific benefits of slow, mindful yoga and an advocate for the use of these practices as an integral part of the solution to the healthcare crisis. She is leading the charge to get slow, mindful practices to people who desperately need them through her Subtle Yoga Revolution series of online courses and trainings for yoga teachers, which have been praised by thousands all over the world. She has been training mental health professionals to use yoga in their clinical practices for over a decade at the Mountain Area Health Education Center, which is associated with the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And in March, 2019, Christine was invited to speak to staff and members of the U.S. Congress at Capitol Hill for the about the potential benefits of yoga therapy in the healthcare system. Christine has been studying yoga and holistic healing for more than 30 years, teaching yoga since 1995, and training teachers since 2003. Her organization provides holistic mind-body trainings and clinical services with the mission of enhancing community health infrastructure. Christine presents workshops and trainings internationally and is frequently invited to speak about yoga at healthcare conferences and on podcasts. She has published a book and many articles, written book chapters, and is currently conducting research on subtle yoga for addiction recovery. She lives in Asheville, North Carolina with her New Zealander husband, Brett, son, Bhairava, and neuroprotective cat, Jerry. Find out more at subtleyoga.com. We're so excited to have her on today. Welcome. Thanks for having me, Alice. It's fun to be here. I was so, it was so fun to find out we both went to Georgetown. 
Yes. Can you talk, what is your favorite story from time at Georgetown? Oh my God, my favorite story? I don't even know. There's so many. It was such a fun thing to, it was such a fun time and a fun place to be. Uh, and, you know, you know what college is like, but to, especially you go to, to college in a, you know, major metropolitan area and, um, I, I, you know, I don't even know. Oh, I can tell you a yoga story from Georgetown, which is that. I had, um, so they actually had yoga at Georgetown when I was there, which was in the late 80s. Yeah. Um, and so I remember going to my first, one of my first yoga classes. I had actually taken some yoga with my hippie social studies teacher in sixth grade, <laughs> but, um, but I went to a yoga class at the gym uh, at Georgetown in the 80s. Well, I went to several. And when we got there, you know, they didn't have sticky mats back then. Sticky mats weren't developed until the 90s. Wow. So we did yoga on those big, thick, squishy wrestling mats, you know, those big navy blue <laughs> squishy wrestling mats. And I remember walking in and the teacher was a real swami. Like he was wearing a white outfit and had a, you know, beard and he was from India and had an accent and everything. And so we learned, I learned like real traditional yoga at Georgetown, <laughs> random, you know. Um, but but that was, that was really a, a really important time for me because the yoga, because, you know, I mean, Georgetown is a pretty intense institution, you know, and uh, particularly when I was at grad school there, um, you know, there was a lot of work, a lot of reading, a lot of writing, a lot of <laughs> expectations. And so yoga was just like such a reprieve from all that. It was really a great way to get through academia. It's such a good balance, I think, you know, so that was one of my one of my favorite experiences. And I remember going in and just being like, what is this? Who is this guy? And there were people standing on their head when I walked in, you know, <laughs> that, sort of, that sort of thing. But it was a really good experience. And I really learned, started to learn how to self-regulate, you know, via that and how to deal with my stress in ways other than, you know, smoking and drinking the usual college ways of dealing with stress. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, what is your favorite type of yoga? Is it this, like, this yoga that you practice at Georgetown? What is it? Well, yeah, it's so I felt the need. So I'll give you like back up just a little bit, which is when I was doing yoga with my like in the 70s with my sixth grade social studies teacher and then in the 80s with a swami, you know, yoga was presented as this very kind of slow, mindful stuff. Some people would call it hatha yoga. And uh, then I moved to Asia and because I wanted to study more and I lived there for four years. Um, and when I came back, it was 1995 when I came back and that was just right when the like fitness yoga craze was hitting. Um, yeah. Maybe, you know, the East Coast, I was in New Jersey, it had hit the West Coast earlier. So, you know, I got back and it was all this like hot, fast, sweaty, quick vinyasa stuff, which, you know, I, I didn't, I, I didn't really have much of an opinion about it, just that it was so different. Um, and so I tried it for a while, you know, I, I did it and I taught it and then I was like, you know, I really like to go back to my roots of what, how I was trained in, uh, in India. And then I also did training programs in the United States kind of in the early-ish, uh, uh, well, late eighties. And then when I got back in the nineties again, and so like, I wanted to revisit that. And so what I discovered was it was the early two thousands when we moved to Asheville. And I don't know if you know much about Asheville. You know, I just realized my mic is far away. I don't know if you're hearing me okay. I am hearing um, you okay. Okay, okay. <laughs> Sorry about that. I'll put it here. It might be a little better. 
Um, so anyway, uh, we moved to Asheville around 2001. And when I got here, Asheville, I don't know if you know much about Asheville, but Asheville is sort of like the Sedona of the East. It's sort of like the nice. really groovy place of the Southeast, you know? So there were, it was full of yoga teachers and yoga studios and stuff. And I got here and I was like, I'm just teaching my usual thing, you know, which was slow, mindful yoga, but everybody wanted the hot, fast fitness stuff. Mm -hmm. And I had a big problem because I was like, well, nobody's coming to my classes because they think it's a waste of time. And I have no way of explaining the value of this stuff. You know, I love doing it myself, but I had no idea about why it was good for you. And that kind of started me on a journey um, of starting to look into the neuroscientific benefits of yoga. And really, we only have, you know, it's only been the past 10, maybe 15 years that research studies have been released about the benefits of of yoga and mostly they're looking at slow mindful practices not the hot they're not looking at the hot fast stuff although there are some studies on that but i really was trying to hone in on mind body research meditation research pranayama breathing exercise research and slow movement research and then look at well, what what is the benefit like what is the particular about these practices that is different than cardiovascular exercise because we all know how great cardiovascular exercise is for us, right? That's been hammered into us since 1969 when Dr. Kenneth Cooper came out with a book called The Aerobics Revolution and like everybody went nuts and started doing aerobics, you know? So we've had that information for what, 50 years, more than 50 years. Um, but information about like mindfulness and mindfulness in the body, that is more recent. And really it has emerged with the uh, emergence of functional MRIs hmm. uh, and being able to look at the brain and see changes that are being made through, this, through mindful, mindfulness practices. And then the mindful movement in the body, that's sort of even a newer iteration of the research. So it, this is very cutting edge stuff, but what I like to emphasize for folks is that there's a difference, you know, over here is your cardiovascular exercise. And yeah, we all know that's so important for you. Over here is your slow mindful movement. And you probably don't know why it's so important for you and why it's so, right? No. Why is that important? Like, why isn't that just a waste of my time? Most people are like, I don't know why that's important. Well, it's important because of uh, it creates better what's called map differentiation in the brain. Mm -hmm. And so you have these different places in your brain that have maps of your body. And as you do slow mindful practices, those maps start getting more refined, more specific, more um, elaborate. And that has confers numerous health benefits including inc increasing what's called vagal tone. That means the function of your vagus nerve, which is the largest nerve of your parasympathetic nervous system. It also increases a sense, it increases the gray matter in parts of the brain, the insular cortex and some other parts that are mapping to how do I feel in my body? And when you know how you feel in your body, you start to develop a deeper sense of your identity and self right? And how important that is. We all know how important it is to develop a sense of self. And, you know, there are researchers that are saying that at the heart of many chronic illnesses lies this inability to understand what's going on in your body or what's called poor interoception. 
And so as you develop these skills of knowing what's going on in your body, which you do by slow mindful movement, as you develop these more refined maps, you start to have a greater sense of yourself, a greater sense of like, hmm, I don't feel so good in this emotional situation. I'm going to ruin my, myself or my body doesn't feel so good right now. I need to eat something better or I need to do some, you know, take a walk or I need to do something to make my body feel better. So you start to cultivate healthier habits because you're aware of how you feel. Huh. And so this is such an important, it's such an important skill set. We don't teach it to children. We don't teach it in schools. You know, we, everybody's like, oh, hard, hard exercise and do some academics, but like you deal with your stress, you know, just drink some wine and watch Netflix. Well, no, we don't, we don't teach people how to actually change their nervous system. And that's what this practice can do. So you asked me what my favorite yoga is, you know, my favorite yoga by far is slow mindful yoga. Cause I can go for a walk. I can go jogging. I can go to the gym. I can get all my cardio stuff done in way. And I could do fast yoga for that too but I prefer to use my yoga practice as a way to get to know myself better because I know, I realize, I understand the science behind how that is going to be helpful for longevity. Wow. That's so interesting. And I was reading an article of yours on, I, on medium, I believe, and you were talking about inner size and this idea of like doing yoga to create the sort of resilience in your body. Can you talk a little bit about that and the difference yeah. between, um, exercising yoga and this inner size that you've, uh, right. you've found and created. Yeah, I mean, I love to use those terms because everybody knows about exercise. It's kind of like what I was just talking about. Like everybody knows about exercise. It's so important. You know, it's a little bit, uh, the statistics are a little disappointing, I have to say, because even though we all know exercise is so important, only one out of five Americans actually engages in any exercise, including like taking a walk down the street. So like, even though the folks you know, and certainly the folks watching this are probably all know about exercise, a lot of people don't exercise. So that's a, yeah, yeah, but that's another, that's another story. But then the, <laughs> the other side of exercise is what I like to call inner size. And so inner size, yes. Well, I talk about it in terms of building nervous system resilience because of all those things I just mentioned, the map differentiation in the brain, more, um, more uh, stimulation and more gray matter in the insular cortex. And then, you know, and then the connections that get made, the, the feedback loops, the neural networks that get created because you're paying attention, you're using this mindful awareness to know what's going on in your body, to pay attention to the signals from your body. And that really is affected through, it's slow movement that does that. You know, right. of course like meditation is really good for that too, but it's when you, when you move fast, you miss it because you're just paying attention to like balancing and you know, like trying to do the thing that you're doing, you're paying attention to that, which is in the realm of what's called proprioception and the vestibular system. But interoception, these are very slow receptors that go from your body up to your brain. You know, interoception is like, how do I feel inside? Am I tuned into that? You can't get to that if you go fast. I mean, you can to some extent, but not to the same way you can when you move slow and mindful. So exercise, exercise, yeah, of course there's some crossover. Of course there is, you know, but I kind of create this little bit of a dichotomy. So it helps people to be able to sort of, you know, conceptualize, like have a conceptual model and be like, okay, I get why it's just as important to me, for me to do some inner size 
several times a week is just as important as my exercise routine. It's important as any other self-care that I do to get on my yoga mat and move slowly and mindfully and just be present with myself and be in a place of self-compassion. Tons of research on how self-compassion is so good for you, you know, be in a place of self-compassion, of self-acceptance, like body image stuff, right? And just enjoying the sensations of slow, gentle movement, that that confers just as many health benefits. In my opinion, we don't have as much data on that, but I think we're going to see heaps of it coming out in the future. Um, it confers just as much benefit as the, the exercise. And they're different, different things we need to do for self-care. And I think that's a big talking point right now, self-care. That's something that we... I mean, especially need to work on right now during COVID, during quarantine. Can you yep. talk about your clients? Have they been using subtle yoga to feel better, to relieve stress? What can we all be doing during COVID? Yeah, yeah it's such a good question. So I will say with a little bit of um, like, I feel really honored and really grateful that my um, students are really into um, yoga, into subtle yoga during have been really into it during COVID, during the shutdown. And so many amazing, grateful comments. So I have, um, I have an online, I have two online communities. One is my subtle yoga community where I provide weekly, like little tidbits. It's totally free. It's called subtle yoga community. Anybody can join on Facebook. And I provide little like weekly short five to 10 minute practices that anybody can do anytime. And then I, my second community is called the Subtle Yoga Resilience Society. And that's also if it's kind of, I'm smiling because it's such, I think it's such a funny name, but we had fun coming up with that name, the society. <laughs> um, <and laughs> the Subtle Yoga Resilience Society is also an online group. And that is a membership community where we charge $37 a month. And then folks get one full yoga practice every week. That also includes breathing practices and, and meditation practices. Oh, um, so we release those, we release those videos every week. They're live streamed. You can watch them as, you know, and then they're kept up there. You can watch them as many times as you want. And the feedback that I've had during this time from my students has just been like, so grateful that they're that they have a practice to help them calm down because people are freaking out right now yeah. you know something i saw two weeks ago said that 30 percent of americans are experiencing mental health challenges typically anxiety or depression 30 percent so we need to help people with strategies and the strategies are not simply cognitive you know like oh just reframe that or think about it differently like you feel fear in your body so you have to have ways to release those fear and tension patterns from the body. And that's one, one of the things that um, I've focused on for more than 10 years now in helping to train mental health professionals in reducing, you know, helping people to reduce the fear patterns, the tension patterns, the anxiety patterns, because if we don't address that, we, we can't, you know, walk around. We're not just front brains. We're not just heads we're bodies and it's your body where you experience the discomfort. So we have to address the body in the equation. It can't just be a mental exercise. So we've got to stop and talk about our sponsor, Gbulance for PMS. It's a daily supplement that helps you be you. Gbulance is an over-the-counter nutritional supplement shown in clinical trials to relieve the emotional symptoms of PMS. That means less stress, anxiety, and more of getting back to your life. 
You deserve to be your best self all month long. And thanks to modern science, PMS is now optional. It's the first and only product for emotional PMS backed by real science with double-blind, placebo-controlled, peer-reviewed studies. And it works. I work for Jubilance because I'm here to help women, and this is the real deal. Jubilance isn't just a product. It's a global mission to make PMS mood swings a thing of the past. The Jubilance Sisterhood is a movement of thousands of strong women escaping the PMS struggle with science, sharing, and communal support. We're here for you each week with stories of amazing women, your weekly playlist on Spotify, and for you to dish and cry about periods on our Facebook group. So why not give Jubilance a try? Go to www.jubilance.com to learn more. Can you talk about how you came to that? The, I, this realization of needing to address this inner self um, and starting subtle yoga, how did it come about? Yeah, so... Um... Well, I think I mentioned it a little bit that I was trying to, you know, different, I was trying to differentiate from all the exercise stuff, but really the way that it came about, it was very personal. You know, um, when I was in high school and college, to some extent, I suffered from disordered eating, um, uh, behavioral addictions. Um, and when I really, and I had little yoga, you know, I had my Swami at Georgetown. So, but it was really when I went to Asia, when I went and lived in Asia and I was there for four years from 1991 to 1996, 1991 um, and even more so on my mother's generation, like the Betty Draper generation, they really got that stuff, you know, but yeah. my generation also got it. And I think it's still present, but I think it's not as, you know, with the body positive movement, it hasn't been as, um, in, in, as insane as it was, you know, so I had internalized that cultural stuff, uh, and felt like I was there, you know, I'm a woman and I'm not thin. So therefore, you know, I'm, I'm fit, I'm healthy, but I'm not thin. So therefore I'm not, I'm worthless. You know, I mean, I had really internalized that stuff. And when I found yoga practice and started to feel every day, have that practice and that experience of not being just this body and also of loving my body and being like looking at the positive things my body could do. That's when I really started to heal. You know, I had done a lot of psychotherapy and it was wonderful and very helpful, but it was really yoga that shifted the, the image of my body. You know, it shifted my body image. It shifted my experience of my body. Wow. And so, you know, I had that very personal experience. And then when I was back in the States, you know, I met and married a wonderful man who later became a um, psychotherapist wow. and, and he's also a yogi. So we started talking about yoga and psychotherapy and realizing like we have to start bringing this stuff together and presenting it to mental health professionals so that they would have tools beyond the cognitive stuff so that they would have some somatic tools to be able 
to share with their clients. So that's kind of how it evolved. And, um, and I realized at the same time, like lots of people aren't coming to yoga for therapy, but they come to yoga for wellness and they come to yoga for uh, positive psychology, if you like, you know? And so that's how I teach yoga is like, this is a positive psychology tool. And it doesn't mean that you're looking to solve any kind of mental health problems, although it may be helpful for that, but really what it's going to do is help you optimize your mental health and, and your physical health. You know? Wow. Um, can you talk about going to Congress and talking about how this, how yoga and subtle yoga specifically could help with mental health? Yeah, so we got to um, present to the um, Integrative Health Wellness Caucus, I think it's called. I can't remember the name of the caucus, but um, um, I was working with a group called the Integrative Health Policy Consortium. And last year, we uh, put together this day of going to Congress. And um, because, you know, it's a sort of like, a, if we know that integrative medicine is so valuable, which it is, um, then it it needs to be brought into the uh, you know to the conversation about health healthcare in this country. We have such a crisis of healthcare. So, so I was really honored. I got to um, go and I got to do some demonstrations of a little bit of yoga therapy with some different staff members, and I got to talk to some um, some members of Congress and cool. and just and some of them were so supportive and so like this is awesome, this is great, you know. And others were not interested at all, but it was really interesting experience to me on Capitol Hill. I hope I get to go back and do that again because it was a really interesting experience, and um, it's something that you know. Right now, we're just talking about COVID. We're just talking about like the that we haven't even, like, you know, it, it trumps things like uh, chronic pain and, you know, all those things that we were talking about six months ago. Yeah. But, but hopefully when things get back to normal, you know, I, I want to continue being involved because it was really inspiring. And, um, and it also made me realize the tremendous amount of work that needs to be done, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like to shift things. It's a bit of a juggernaut, DC, yeah. right? But hopefully now people kind of understand like what we need from a healthcare system and what we have now isn't working and we need other things, especially for mental health, which will become such a big problem because of yeah. COVID, unfortunately. Yeah, exactly. Mental health is a big problem. And well, what's, here's the other piece about COVID, you know, you better be very healthy if you're going to encounter this virus, right? We know that. So we are living a wash. Did you know four out of 10 Americans have one, have uh, six out of 10 Americans have one chronic disease and four out of 10 have two or more. So I, yeah. yeah, I mean, the numbers are astronomical how, many chron how much chronic illness there is. So we have got to focus on improving chronic illness and Western medicine is just not the way. I mean, Western medicine is very good at, you know, like emergency care, but it's not really great at treating this, these long-term chronic things. That under, falls under the umbrella of lifestyle medicine. Mm -hmm. And yoga is just like the original lifestyle medicine. <laughs> it really is. Uh, that yogic lifestyle, there's something called dinacharya in the yoga world, which means yoga lifestyle, like wake up in the morning, drink water, do meditation, do some asanas, um, follow the ethical principles, the yamas and niyamas throughout your work day, you know, um, go to bed early, eat healthy food. Like that's all part of the yoga tradition, actually. You know, so we start bringing this stuff to the table and start bringing that as part of the conversation. 
it's low cost, it's low risk. You know, it's something that anybody can implement with a little bit of education. These are things that need to be part of the conversation because during COVID, we need to be healthy. You know, we need to make those lifestyle changes now, not later. <laughs> yeah, I had COVID actually. I had it back in March Whoa. and I was training for like a marathon right beforehand and I was knocked out for six weeks. I'm like a healthy oh girl in her twenties. And uh, it, like you, you have to be healthy to, in order to fight it, like to have it for six weeks. Um, pretty tough. I don't think I've met anybody and talked to them. No, I do know one person really? who's had it actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're the second person I've met. <laughs> New York, you throw a you throw a ball and you can hit someone who's had it, which is Everybody, yeah. terrible, but yeah, everyone knows. Were you in the people. hospital? I was for a little bit and then I got to go home. So that must've been terrifying for your family. Yeah, it was, it was pretty, it was pretty awful. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but what's and so how are you feeling now? Are you feeling better? Uh, I feel, you still okay. feel it. I, I, it took me a long time to get back to my stamina. I'm still not what I was, but I bought a stationary bike and like that's helped with it. Um, but I definitely think like my mental health is an issue still. Um, mm -hmm. and so like learning about subtle yoga or like different practices to help with stress are, are, have been really helpful during this. Yeah. 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 Oh, wow. Well, I'm yeah. so glad that you have resources. Yeah. yeah. Which yeah. Is, and, um, yeah, I think integrative medicine is incredibly important. So, so important. This the first thing I did when COVID happened was I uh, you know I started watching my homeopath my homeopath is Paul Herskew and he is um, the leading homeopath in the world on infectious diseases so I was really fortunate you know that I studied with him years ago and uh, and so the first thing I did was look, read all his blogs and look for the remedies that he was recommending. So I got those remedies. I'm like, okay, if anybody gets it, we're, we're going to start working with homeopathy. Right. And we got, you know, we stocked up on vitamin C and resveratrol and, and vitamin D and all of the things that are supposed to strengthen you. Now, I'm not suggesting that that's going to cure COVID, you know. No. Um, I'm not suggesting that the homeopathy will cure it, but uh, in the great flu epidemic of 1918, the Spanish flu, um, there is there are studies that show that folks who went to the homeopaths did better. Huh, that's so interesting. Yeah, it, it is interesting. Yeah. So, well, that in 10 years time, we'll look back and see, did homeopathy do anything? Because they use it very, very, very regularly in places like Germany and France and India. Mm -hmm. It was just yeah. not very common in the United States. It really makes sense though, because with COVID, I had it in March, right? Like I had it before it was declared a pandem pandemic and uh, they had no idea what to do with me. No, no clue. And so I talked to a lot of different integrative doctors and they just like gave me a list of vitamins and different things to try, like no antibiotics because there was nothing. But I really think homeopathic medicine really helped yeah, like yeah. popping vitamin C, like right. <laughs> and just to be clear, so so that would be called naturopathic medicine. Oh, okay. And, and you know, and supplements, and then homeopathic me or integrative, and then okay. homeopathic medicine are the little white pills. Oh, I have you ever seen that? No. Yeah, it's so homeopathic medicine was very very 
popular in uh, the United States before World War II, well, before World War One, even. Uh -huh. Uh, it was developed by a physician, and I think he was in Germany, named Samuel, Samuel Hahnemann. And um, it's, it's a totally different way of understanding medicine. The ideas you use, it's vibrational, actually. They use a tiny little bit of some kind of a poison or some kind of a substance that oh. would cause a healing reaction in your body. Oh, interesting. Okay, I didn't try that, but... <laughs> yeah, it's it's really not... Well, well, what happened was the American Medical Association kind of squashed it, um, it, you know, in the 1920s or 30s. I can't remember the history, but it's oh, sometime around that. It got squashed um, as sort of, a, you know, chicanery or, or a hoax or something. But, I mean, that never happened in Germany. And the Germans are like, the be have the best medical system in the world, you know, oh. and they're very, very much respectful and use homeopathic medicines a lot in treatment. So it's, you know, it's a shame that Americans don't have access to homeopathy because uh, at times like this, you wanna have everything that you can possibly, you know, everything you can possibly have to protect yourself. Yoga, supplements, homeopathy, everything, you know. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Um, if, if you could give a woman a piece of advice about how to deal with the stress or how to start practicing subtle yoga just from their own home, what would that be? Well, I would love to invite you to come and practice with me on Wednesdays online. <laughs> I'm online at 9.30 every Wednesday morning in the Subtle Yoga Resilient Society. That would be one piece of advice. My second piece of advice would be that, um, you know, give yourself a very low bar. I always tell my students this, put the bar really low put the bar down to like one or two yoga postures a day and do it in the morning when you get up do one posture and see how you feel like do your favorite yoga posture could it be down dog or triangle pose or warrior one just do that and see how you feel and then sometimes uh, you may find you do another one <laughs> you know but just keep the bar really low keep your yoga mat out somewhere you know like i always have i always have mats i have mats in like four different rooms in my house and Perfect. often they're just out, you know? So I'm like, there's the mat, I'm gonna do a pose. <laughs> um, so I don't think that it's so helpful to say, okay, I'm gonna do 90 minutes of yoga, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, because who has time for that, you know? I mean, but we probably can find 15 minutes. Like, even if you wanna turn on Netflix, or even if you need to watch Hamilton on Disney Plus again, like I've only watched it five times, it, whatever you have to do, you know, it's okay. It's, be, just be okay with moving your body, you know? And if you're sitting in the chair all day, I spent a lot of time in this chair because I teach online and do tons of stuff online. You know, get up out of your chair every hour. Just shake, shake your body around a little bit. Do a couple of deep breaths, you know? Um, just add it into your life so that movement becomes very natural and very organic and it doesn't feel like it, it has to be this separate part of your life. It is part of who you are as a human being. So just bring it in, you know. Mm -hmm. And you've already talked about how the students can find these groups on Facebook or through uh, your membership program. Can you talk about um, where they can find you online? Yeah, I have a lot of stuff online, um, but the best best way to find me is on Facebook, Subtle Yoga Community. Um, and then uh, I do have a few um, a few free freebies. So like I have a free video called Yoga for um, Building 
nervous system resilience and optimizing the function of your brain. And if you're interested in that, I'll, I'll give you the link and you can um, just sign up there. We'll send you a free one, it's about an hour yoga class. Plus there's a script that goes with it, a little stick figure handout that goes with it. So you can just do some of those if you don't want to do the whole class. Um, you know, after I would try the whole class, but then afterwards you could just do that. And, um, you know, and then also I have a lot of online courses and they're all on my website, which is subtleyoga.com. Um, some people that like most of them are for yoga teachers, but there's a couple of courses. Like I have a course that's called cultivating calm in times of crisis. And that is, I made that specifically after COVID hit. And that has um, a couple of really nice yoga practices in it. It has some journaling in it. It has some short practices, like I was just talking about, like five, 10 minute practices. I have a bunch of those in it. And it's just about like practices that can help you feel a little bit more chill, a little calmer um, in the face of, of the challenges that we're, that we're dealing with right now. So I'm happy to put that link in too, if you're interested. I also have a free ebook and it's called Weather the Storm, and it's subtle yoga tips for building resilience. So I'm, I'll give you that linked as well. So you're welcome to, you know, anyone can download it. Any, a bunch of stuff is free. Some of it will put you on my mailing list. You can unsubscribe whenever you like. If you don't want to be on it, that's fine. And uh, yeah, and then, you know, explore, because it, I, would, I would suggest that um, developing a wellness routine, a wellness, a habit of wellness is really essential right now, you know, and just like we were just talking about. So how can you fit in a little bit of time every day where you develop this routine? So that's one of my missions. I'm out there to help folks develop it. I do train yoga teachers, but that's not all I do. I work with the Subtle Yoga Resilience Societies for everyone. Anyone's welcome to join that. Great. Thank you so much, Christine. And we'll link everything below. So if you want to okay. check out um, all of the links right below this video, you can check those out here. Uh, so thank you. Is there anything else you'd like to add to our listeners? Um, well, I think what you're doing is great. I want to thank you for having me on. And, um, you know, because of course, PMS is something that is going to flare up um, in times of stress, right? So having natural solutions um, is, is going to be really important. So thank you for doing this work and thank you for, for collaborating with me on this podcast or is it an interview? <laughs> I'm not sure. Either way, <laughs> it's really, it's really nice to know that there are people out there doing really important work. So thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on, Christine. Thanks so much for listening. And thank you for being a part of the Jubilant Sisterhood. To find out more, visit jubilance.com for more of Weekly Woman and female empowerment. See you next time. Thank you.